Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Have you heard about the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program? The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leading experts in the field to bring you Rock, the online learning platform developed for U.S. residency programs. Free to residents, Rock empowers you to build a foundation to prepare you for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. And remember, access to the Rock content is free for residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole, and you are tuned in to our board slash our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Wilwine, and we are continuing on with joints, and everybody stay tuned and stay continuing watching or listening to the episodes because we're actually coming out with the book, the actual hard copy that you can use to take notes and go along with this podcast for very shortly. So stay tuned, and without further ado, let's get into the episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Now, one of the things of the, you know, we talked about the metal cup and then we all mentioned the liner a little bit earlier, but what are some material options for the acetabular liner, the actual thing that goes inside of that metal cup? The most common is going to be uh, polyethylene, highly cross-linked uh, polyethylene, and then ceramic and then uh, metal. M- metal and ceramic are not as common. One, the metal is the uh, pseudotumor formation, increased ion concentration, and uh, complications associated with that. Ceramic, uh, theoretically, is a very good surface because of its uh, coefficient of friction and uh, its durability, but it's also very brittle. And so when it uh, cracks, it actually kind of shatters uh, in the pelvis and is a a big problem there. And also if it's not shattered, um, the patients develop a very squeaky hip when they walk and you can search. There's multiple videos on YouTube where you just search like squeaky ceramic hip and you can hear a, a patient going up the stairs and it does it just sounds like a door opening and closing because it's squeaking <laughs> so much uh and so people tend to hate that that now they live the rest of their life with a squeak every time they walk so Ooh. highly cross-linked polyethylene is the most common and what uh you'll definitely be asked this in conference probably not on the oite but what is the minimum polyethylene minor thickness uh that is used to prevent uh, a fracture. Yeah. So it's going to be six millimeters thick. And, and what this is, is it's going to be measured by the inner diameter um, of the polyethylene. So six millimeters thick. And one thing to note about, you know, we're talking about all these different polys is that a, a shell, a metal shell, it can accommodate multiple different sizes of polyethylene liners, as well as different head sizes of the actual femur. Um, so one thing to note is that the cup size, the size of the cup itself is going to end up equaling the size of the femoral head as well as the poly thickness. So if you have a 54 cup, a 54 millimeter sized cup, you can have different 
thicknesses of the poly with different femoral head sizes and that'll equal that 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 four what i, I forgot what i said I think 56 that'll equal that 56 um millimeter for that for that diameter of the shell um and so you know we, we talked about what liners are some of the different materials of what it is um but what are some actual different types of liners which took me a little while to and take a little while to understand. I guess I just never really like looked over it like that um, a lot. But what are some of the different types of poly or just different types of liners in general? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point with the um, with the shell can accommodate mul- multiple polyethylene sizes. And uh, one thing you may notice in residency, and you'll definitely want to know this information in practice, is when you get comfortable with a certain uh implant uh let's say i mean i have no financial disclosures or or issues um but let's say you choose a uh zimmer and or biomet and and you're putting in the acetabular component um basically what what you're trying to figure out is what what is the size of a acetabular shell that i would need to use the largest femoral head size because um, there's that theoretical kind of jump distance where if you have a larger femoral head size, then you're going to have a decreased risk for uh, hip dislocation. And so uh, they may say, oh, uh, let's say you're reaming uh, 51 to make room for a 52 millimeter acetabular component. They may say, oh, well, in order to get to the largest femoral head size, you actually have to ream to a 50 four or something like that. And, and I don't know if that's true for Biomet. That, that was just the first implant company that came to my head, but um, that's, that's why it's useful is they may say, Ooh, if you're only going to put in a 50 millimeter cup, you can only use a 28 millimeter femoral head. But if you increase the, the size of the acetabular component by four millimeters, then you can go up to a 32 millimeter head and and decrease the risk of dislocation so that's where it it comes into to play in practice when you are talking about polyethylene liner thickness and femoral head size so uh back to the the question at hand what are some different types of liners uh most most common is going to be this just standard neutral hemispherical uh, liner where the inner diameter is the femoral head size the outer diameter is the acetabular component size. So basically, if you're uh, just like you did with the math, if you put in a 32 millimeter femoral head and you want to make room for uh, a 52 millimeter uh, acetabular component, the thickness of the polyethylene is basically what that 52 millimeter minus the 32 millimeters. So it's going to be uh, 20 millimeters difference. And so 10 millimeters uh, thickness for the polyethylene, essentially. Uh, Then you have the lateralized liner, which means that you have extra polyethylene on the medial side uh, of the polyethylene. And what that is going to do is it's going to increase the offset um, because uh, you let's say you medialize the acetabular component too much, unfortunately, but you need, so you need to increase the offset to help with the abductor tension. You may consider using a lateralized liner to keep the metal acetabular shell where it is, 
but you use the polyethylene to help create offset. Um, they have an elevated liner or a, a kind of a dislocation resistant type liner where part of the uh, liner is raised 10 to 20 degrees. Uh, and you typically put this in the posterior portion of the uh, hip so that you kind of create an extra buttress posteriorly to increase the jump distance and to decrease chance for dislocation. Um, you can have a 10 degree uh, face changing liner where the cup is angled to change version uh, in case the surgeon doesn't like the version of the shell essentially. And then dual mobility is a bipolar head in an acetabular uh, component. And then finally, uh, constrained liner is where the femoral head is actually locked into the poly itself via company specific locking mechanism, whether that's a, a ring or uh, some other metallic component that you mallet in to keep the polyethylene in place and to lock the femoral head within the polyethylene. And uh, you may hear like trunnion uh, thrown around or uh, hey, what was the um, kind of uh, composition of the trunnion or what's the size of the trunnion? Uh, what, what exactly are they talking about when they talk about a trunnion? Yeah, I remember them. I mean, I remember hearing this term and hearing like Morse taper. And I was like, I had no idea what these guys are talking about. I kind of knew what a trunnion was. Um, but the trunnion is the junction of the femoral head and the stem. It's that 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 kind of I mean, where those two meet. This can also be called a Morse taper on the femoral stem side of things. And why it's called a Morse taper, because it tapers down in size. So typically there's a larger diameter towards the stem that decreases towards the femoral head. So the Morse taper is going to be a part of the femoral stem. It's going to be the part that goes and articulates with the trunnion where the femoral head and the stem meet. And so the, again, the Morse taper is going to be that part of the femoral stem um, that is going to articulate with the, uh, with the head. And these typically have a larger diameter towards the stem that decreases towards the femoral head. So for example, you may, it may be, 12 millimeters um it may be a 12 14 where you have um a four a 12 millimeter um uh, distance or 12 millimeter diameter at the most proximal portion of the stem and towards the base where it's going closer towards the more distal portion of the stem it may be 14 millimeters so that's the morse taper this episode is sponsored by the american academy of orthopedic surgeons if you're an orthopedic resident, it's time to start building the foundation to be prepared for the OITE and ABOS Part 1 exam. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has partnered with leaders in the field to bring you the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Program. ROCK is an all-in-one online learning platform covering 11 subspecialties. You can access the content for free at rock.aaos.org. This platform delivers a comprehensive, structured, standardized curriculum and even includes self-assessment quizzes and performance analytics. And remember, residents never pay to access rock content. Get started today at rock.aaos.org. Um, and so, you know, we talked about the, uh, again, in order, we talked about acetabulum component and then the polyethylene component. And then now we talked about the trunnion where the 
head in the STEM meet, um, what are some different options for materials that can be used for the femoral head? Used to be primarily a like a cobalt chromium uh, uh, type of component because that's what we use pretty much for everything. Uh, the upside to it is it can articulate with polyethylene or metal. If it articulates with metal, then you run the risk of all of the metallic debris and pseudo tumor and all of that. Uh, I would say the most commonly used one are the pink ceramic heads. Uh, they are the smoothest material. They have the best wear properties. Um, but if it's ceramic on ceramic, you run the risk of squeaking and a brittle fracture. And then uh, titanium was tried, but failed because it uh, scratches easily. It leads to uh, increased degree of abrasive type wear with the poly. And so it's better used for the metallic shell of the acetabulum rather than the femoral head. And I, I kind of talked about this. You kind of talked about this, but what what is the jump distance? Yeah, so the jump distance is going to be the distance the femoral head displaces before dislocating. So um, we mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, if you increase the size of the femoral head, that increases this jump distance, therefore increasing the amount of distance that it takes for the femoral head before it displaces or or dislocates. So that's what the jump distance is. We hear a lot of the arthroplasty, you know, attendings talking about the jump distance, Um and so we mentioned a little bit earlier um, the use of a, the use of one of these things, but what are some ways to limit hip range of motion? Uh, yeah. So not that we would love to limit the hip range of motion, but things yeah. that do limit it or increase its risk for dislocation. Um, uh, constrained liners. If you constrain the hip, it's going to limit its uh, hip range of motion. Uh, if you use, a uh, what's called a skirt or a collar, which is basically it's on the femoral side. And what these are, are uh, uh, kind of increased diameter portions of the uh, femoral head component as it goes on the trunnion. And um, as you take the hip through a range of motion, if you have a wider diameter for uh uh, it to move in, then you're going to actually impinge earlier than you would otherwise if you had a smaller diameter or a uh, increased neck to head size ratio. So uh, what these skirts do is they basically make the femoral neck closer in diameter to the femoral head and they increase impingement. Um, and then lip liners, uh, if you place the lip in the wrong place, then you are uh, basically causing the hip to impinge uh, in a, a spot where it otherwise wouldn't, and you increase the risk of dislocation there. So lip liners are typically reserved for uh, posterior placement, unless for whatever reason you uh, anverted the cup too much, and now you need to add a a little bit of retroversion, I guess you can put a lip liner in with the lip anterior to help kind of correct some of that increased antiversion and you put with the uh, femoral component or the acetabular component, excuse me. Um, and so what are some of the advantages to increasing the femoral head size? Yeah. And you mentioned this uh, a couple of times already, 
Um, but one of the things is you have an increased head to neck ratio, which gives you a larger arc of motion before the hip impinges. And this also decreases the chance to dislocate. Um, and so again, increasing the femoral head size increases the jump distance that we talked about a little bit earlier um, before dislocation occurs. And I think at least like a 32 millimeter head size um, is, is a good size or it's a good number. I've seen many places um, to have for your femoral head. I think a lot of surgeons try to at least get a 32 millimeter head in there if they can. And so what are some disadvantages to increasing the size of the femoral head? We just talked about how good it could be. But what are some uh, disadvantages to it? Yeah, with increased size of the femoral head, you are increasing the uh, volumetric wear that can occur with the polyethylene. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a balance where if you have a really small femoral head, then you have a smaller surface area and a theoretical increased risk of kind of point, uh, uh, like pinpoint increased wear because of the smaller surface. But the larger surface, although it increases the surface area and theoretically decreases the amount of uh, pressure placed at any one point of the femoral head, you have an increased area for the femoral head to contact the polyethylene as you have increased volumetric wear. Um, and then what it also does is it increases forces across the trunnion because there's an increase in the head neck ratio. So um, the best way I could think of to, to kind of conceptualize this is if you uh, put a uh, scoop of ice cream that is too big on a really small ice cream cone, it's going to want to melt and fall off. Whereas if you put a more portion size scoop of ice cream on a more portion size ice cream cone, it's going to want to stay in the right position. So if the femoral head is too big for the neck, you're going to have increased forces across the trunnion. It's a good one. I like that. Uh, moving on from the kind of acetabulum, um, now we're going back to some of the uh, radiographic uh, things you're looking for when templating and considering a total hip arthroplasty, what is the door classification and why is it important? Yes. Yeah, so the door classification is your, your kind of, it's kind of describing the relationship between the proximal femur anatomy and the femoral diaphysis. So you have type A's when you have a thick cortex and a narrow canal Kind of like a, a, it looks like a champagne flute. So you may see it kind of has a champagne flute appearance. Um, type B are typically kind of kind of normal. And then type C is when you have a very thin cortex with a wide canal. So this is kind of a loose fit or a stovepipe um, type of appearance that you may hear to it. And again, this helps describe the relationship between the proximal femur anatomy and the femoral diaphysis. And this also helps with stem selection um, for press fit and kind of what you what you want to uh, what you want to use, um, and and so what are some um, you know kind of moving forth and talking about some femoral stems? We actually have a podcast uh, with Dr. Anna Cohen Rosenblum, where she goes over you know more in depth you know kind of our femoral stem designs and a lot of the different designs and tapers and whatnot. Um, but what are some different um, fixation options for femoral stems. Similar to the acetabulum, you can have cemented or cementless or press fit uh, as it's commonly termed. 
Uh, press fit is more common, I would say. Um, cemented uh, cups tend to fail though before cemented stems. So a press fit cup is superior to a, a cemented cup. Um, the literature seems to kind of bounce back and forth, especially when we're talking about elderly hip fractures on press fit versus cemented. I think the uh, uh, cited standard now is to now cement your uh, hemiarthroplasties for your elderly hip fractures. But for patients who are uh, healthy enough and well enough to undergo total hip arthroplasty, I would say that most often they are press fit. And uh, yeah, go back to that other episode because I don't think we're going to be talking a whole lot about no, 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 no. ML tapers, triple tapers, whatever else tapers that happen with the uh, with the femoral stems. I personally don't uh, really pay too much attention <laughs> to all that stuff because I know what I like and use, and it's pretty much I either an ML taper, which is your standard like accolade style stem or a diaphyseal stem. <laughs> those are, those are kind of the two I use. Yeah, um, I love it. And so, um, uh, I kind of, I guess, talked about this next question. What are some of the situations where you may cement the femoral stem? So like elderly patient hip fractures, and they tend to have very good results and you, you really aren't cementing a primary total hip anymore these days outside of the uh, maybe a door C, but in somebody who's otherwise fairly healthy, you're going to cement those. So let's say uh, you um, are going to cement the femoral stem. What stem design leads to worse outcomes? Yeah. So if you're planning on cementing a femoral stem and you use a stem design that has a pre that's pre-coded or it has a rough components that leads to worse outcomes, because this produces osteolysis and you have abundant wear debris. And what this does is it causes um, the cement bone interface to fail early. So if you're going to cement a stem, you probably should not use these pre-coded or, or these uh, rough components. And also flexible stems, um, these stress the cement mantle a little bit more. So instead of using like, you know, more flexible, like titanium, you may use cobalt chrome or stainless steel to prevent this. So, I mean, that makes sense, right? So if you have a stem that's very flexible, you may have more stress around that cement mantle um, and which may lead to worse outcomes. So you use a little bit less of a flexible stem. So in contrast, if you have a, a smooth, highly polished stems, um, those don't bond to the cement. Um, so that's typically what you should probably use when you're thinking about cementing a femoral stem, a smooth, highly polished stem. And even with these, you still get some micromotion and you, and you have a little bit of wear debris, but uh, I think it's still better than, or, or better outcomes than using a rough pre-coated um, component when you're, again, are cementing the femoral stem, which again, what we just, you just mentioned that we don't do all the time, but it's maybe in like these elderly patients or patients that may have some hip fractures. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. We hope that you have hit the subscribe button and that you have told at least one or maybe two or maybe three colleagues about this podcast. That would help us out a bunch. And until next time.